The words, it is finished, were said on that dark Friday evening. Jesus gave up his spirit, bowing his head. The tension of what was expected versus what had occurred gave the illusion that all seemed lost, hopeless, and confusing. After his death, Jesus was buried in a tomb, and everyone went their own way, having to rest on that holy Saturday. Feeling like their faith had been stolen, not sure if Jesus' promise to rise again was in fact truth or some misguided notion. Sunday morning came, and as the sun rose, the atmosphere shifted suddenly. From darkness to light, from hopeless to hope, the stone was rolled away, the grave empty. Christ had risen from the dead, defeating sin, and all humanity was instantly and completely redeemed. And so as we gather on this Easter Sunday morning, let us remember the blessing of Christ's sacrifice. Let us celebrate the victory over sin and death. Let us join the chorus of the angels, saying worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who overcame the grave. All blessing, all honor, all glory be to your name, King Jesus, forever and ever and ever. Amen.
Amen. Amen. And that's why we're here this morning. To remember that even though Jesus died and was buried as a criminal, that he rose as a king. Amen. That we worship a living God, one who conquered death and sin and has offered us eternal life. And we believe that God meets all of our needs in Christ Jesus, which means 
which is why we go to him in prayer, that we don't just need to hear about God, but our goal this morning is to meet with God, with the living God. And so I just encourage you, whatever posture is helpful for you, we're gonna enter into a time of prayer. And I just ask that you would interact with God, pray on your own as I, as I pray for us as well. Let's go to God together. God, we look to you and affirm that you are where our help comes from that we don't look for anything horizontally that can only come vertically. And we affirm that, that God, you meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus, that he went and he died for our sin. And he has given us everything that we need for eternal life and for a full life. And so we celebrate that today. We worship you, Jesus, today. We thank you for everything that you did, all the pain that you endured for us, the joy that was set before you on the cross. And God, we do, we pray for this world that you created, that you love, that you have placed the church here, your children here to be your hands and your feet. And we know that as all shores, we're just one part of that, but we, we lift up the other parts this morning. We pray for Ferrysburg Community Church. Would you be with them this morning? Would your presence go before them this morning? Would you encourage them? And we don't just pray locally, but we pray for your children in the church all across the globe. We lift up the Steinharts this morning who are missionary coaches in Europe, those that we support through Global Partners. God, would you meet their needs? Would you open up doors for them to continue to encourage other missionaries throughout Europe? And finally, God, we pray for ourselves. We believe that you have a word for each and every one of us today, that you wanna encourage us, that you wanna help us, that you, that you want us to show us a new way. So God, I do pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds for the word that you have for us today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Well, if you're in Spring Lake, you can take a seat. We are so excited that you are here for Easter with us at All Shores. Thank you for being here. I also wanna say a big hello to our, all of you who are joining us online, our Coopersville campus, our Muskegon campus. I wanna give a big shout out. If you are new or would consider yourself new, maybe it's your first time here or your first time in a long time, we are so excited that you chose to join us. Come on church, can you welcome those who are joining us today? We're so glad you're here. We really do. We hope you feel right at home and we would love to connect with you. We'd love to hear a little bit of your story. We actually have a gift for you that we'd love to get put in your arms today before you walk out the door. The best way for us to know who you are is through our connection card. There's a QR code in the seat back in front of you um, that if you take out your phone, it'll send you a link to our online connection card, or you can always go to allshores.org and hit the button, connect with us and, and get that way. Or if you walk through those double doors, there's a connection point in our lobby where we have a physical connection card that you can write and we can give you a gift today just to say thank you. We believe our mission here at All Shores is to be radically loving and growing together in Christ, to receive God's radical love until we start to dispense it. And we believe that, that life is not meant to be lived alone, that we're supposed to link arms together and grow towards who God has called us to be. And we would love for you to be a part of that. If you wanna join us in any way, just, just fill that out on our connection card. This also is the time in the service where we give back to God, recognizing ultimately that everything that we have is His. 
And, and it was out of his great generosity, his generous love that, that Jesus died for us and rose again. And so he calls us to do that for one another. And so if you call this your church home, we just invite you to participate in that, both what we're doing locally, as well as across the globe. If you're, if you're a guest with us this morning, there's no pressure. We're just glad that you're here. But if you wanna give, the ways to give are on the screen behind me, or there are boxes attached to the wall um, through the doors as you walk out. We're so excited that you're here. We have a great rest of our service planned for you today. Why don't we turn our eyes to the screen for what comes next? Hey, All Shores family. Happy Easter. One of my favorite days of the year as we celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. You know, for some of you, you might be new today. Others of you, maybe you've just been visiting in the last few weeks. And maybe for some of you, you've been here for a few months, but you're new to All Shores. We know how intimidating that can be when you walk through the doors of a new place and try to feel apart. And so we're trying to find ways to help folks get better connected. And one of the things we're doing is what's called our Newcomer Welcome Event. It occurs next week, April 16th, after both of our services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. It'll be 30 minutes long and you'll get a chance to hear a bit about our vision, some of the ministries that happen here at All Shores. You'll get an opportunity to meet some of our staff. And if you have questions, it'll be a great place for, for you to get those answered. We'd love to have you come and be a part of it. Next Sunday morning after each service, we invite you to come. And happy Easter. Look around. It doesn't take long to recognize the brokenness surrounding us. Division, hatred, fear, uncertainty. The pain we're witnessing is real. And the need for a savior is undeniable. It's this need which broke the heart of God and moved him to do the unimaginable. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son to change our eternity, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Love on a cross, dying once for all, laid to rest in the darkness of a tomb. Today, as we face so many unknowns, may we remember the simple truth of Easter. The stone's been rolled away. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And love has risen. Well, I want to welcome those joining us online, all of you here in our Spring Lake campus on this Easter and the joyous occasion that it is. It's a centering day for us as people who follow Jesus. And in just a minute, I'll invite you to pray in the quiet that we believe when we open scripture, it's not about information or even about persuasion, that it's about revelation. In a sense, we're asking God to speak to you. And so all I'm asking as we pray is I'm going to give you a space in quiet that you're honest with God. Whether you're here completely disillusioned, struggling, whether you're here as a tradition in your family or in your own life, 
Whether you're here with great doubt or confusion or even kind of frustration, be honest with him about that. Where you're here as a follower of Christ, ask him to open up a deepening understanding of the revelation of what this means. We just want you to be honest. If you're crusty and dis- disconnected, if you're deeply desiring, if you're disheartened, whatever it is, you pray in the quiet honestly to God and ask him to speak, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I am asking that what we believe the truth of your revelation would become more distinct and more meaningful to us today. I pray for anybody here watching online that will watch later that has the doubts or disillusionment or even disheartened ways of seeing hypocrisy and struggle that keep them and say it can't be. Would you help disarm that? In the places that we are apathetic or even struggling or atrophying, would you awaken us? And Lord, in the ways that we already know, would you deepen our understanding and continue to reveal Jesus to us? Lord, I pray that whatever I have to say that's not from you, it will fall to the ground, it will be forgotten. But I do ask, Lord, that ever, whatever is from you, that you'd speak. You'd awaken, you'd bring life, you'd bring hope, and you would inspire us. I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak, And the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you may not have noticed, but I wore plaid pants today. Yep. It's an interesting thing how clothing gets a reaction to. Some people walk in, they go, oh. Others go, hmm, interesting. Others say, oh, that's really great. It's just funny how you get reactions like, that's an interesting choice. And, uh, and it's funny, so when I was growing up as a kid, I had a p- pair of plaid pants. They were even more bold than this, and I loved them, and I wore them all the time to the point where my mom had to, like, remind me to get them washed so I'd wear something else. And it didn't even matter what they matched. Like, I'd wear, they were reddish plaid, and I could wear it with orange or any other color. It's like, it really wasn't relevant, any sense of style. I was anti-style before I even knew it. So what I want you to know is I am resurrecting plaid pants today. Thank you. I got to say that it was kind of a tepid response, but I'm still okay with that. It's funny, though, we actually use that idea of resurrecting lots of places, don't we? You know, something's old, and we bring it back, and we say, I'm resurrecting it. People resurrect styles all the time. I am not enjoying the real wide uh, clothing style. I didn't, some of you may have worn it, so you're great, but I don't like it. But again, look how I dress, so who cares? But we use that statement in lots of areas. If someone is in a down turn and things aren't going well and their career jumps back up, we say they resurrected their career. People take old songs and they bring them back and they say they resurrected them. We do this with anything where it's been here for a while, then it goes away and we bring it back. And in case you don't know, resurrection is used in commonly in movie themes. It's used all sorts of places, but its origin, its beginning, its inception, and really its advancement and how we use it all sorts of ways stems from the resurrection of Jesus. And we are here to celebrate that. We're here to understand that, I hope, more deeply. That's my intention. That's what I've been asking God to do is help us to understand this in a deeper way. And that's 
what I'm going to ask and hoping that will happen as we're together, that we say it this way. We have blood issues, pen issues, and pencil issues in the life of the church. So the pencil ones are things you don't think too much about. You may have a view, but it doesn't matter. Pen are things that you care about and you write it pretty strongly. Blood says, I die on this hill. And just to be very clear, the resurrection for people who follow Jesus, it's a hill we die on. It's a hill we die on because it's so central to us. Now make no mistake, in our culture and even in the church, we have lots of musings and contemplation about it and lots of confusion about it. In fact, even in the life of the early church, when Paul, who's an early church leader, is walking the earth, when Paul's dealing with this in the Roman culture around him, he ends up getting thrown into prison. And two of the high-ranking officials are talking about this problem because the Jews come to them wanting them to kill Paul. And it's interesting to hear their discussion about it. It's Festus and Agrippa. And what happens is basically Festus tells Agrippa, listen, there's this guy Jesus that people argue about the nuances of their Jewish faith and a bunch of them say he's dead and now Paul's saying he's alive. And that's the extent of what they understand. I don't even know what that means. And let's be honest, even in the life of the church often, we know we espouse it, but what's it really mean? And what does it mean that it happened? And so my hope is God might reveal something even as we look at it together. And I want to say this kind of to give us context about it as we look at it today, to give a bit of a framework about this. And it's simply this, that the crucifixion and the resurrection are the same event. And what I mean by this is we celebrate on Good Friday Christ's crucifixion. We celebrate today his resurrection. They're one long event combined, meaning they're connected and they're interwoven. You can't have one without the other and they mean something together. And the reason I want to start there is, is very simply that we oftentimes want resurrection without crucifixion. Or what we want is Jesus to have suffered and been crucified so we get good life. We want new life without struggle. And I want to tell you that because as we look at the resurrection and the crucifixion, we have to look together. And in case you think, well, it wasn't that central. I have people all the time, well, I love Jesus' teachings, and I love this and that about him. But they don't realize, well, you can say that. But in every account, the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, central to it is his mission, which is to save people from sin. It's to be a savior. It's, John says it this way, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's this salvific wonder that's to come through the coming of Jesus. Now, there's much more to it, but that's a central theme. And in case you don't know as well, the crucifixion's not passed over in any of the four accounts. In fact, it's very important in all four, meaning this is kind of the climax of Jesus' story is the crucifixion, and it moves into the resurrection. Let me explain it to you this way, hopefully to give us a frame, which is this. The resurrection is evidence that the claims of the cross are true. In other words, if you want to know why the resurrection matters, it's because... Jesus' work on the cross says this happens. And the way we know it's true is because he's resurrected. <laughs> so when people say it's not central, it doesn't matter. It matters with everything for us. Now, now make no mistake, I, I understand there's people who go, that's not reasonable. I shouldn't understand it. They'll give all sorts of questions, empirical questions, which we can discuss and, and talk about some good reasons for that. I'm not even trying to do that today. I just want to, I'm presuming that we believe the resurrection happened, and so what's it mean? And we have to look at the cross of its true meaning because the resurrection is the evidence that what happened on the cross is true. You with me so far? 
That's where we're going. That's what we want to do today. And, and I'll say it as I've said it before. Hey, if you're here with doubt and question, we love it. And we're glad you're here. And it's not a momentary thing, though God may meet you in this moment. This is a process of learning to ask questions and live in doubts and discover who he really is. So let's presume that the resurrection happened. And by the way, there's some great reasons to presume it. Just, I'll just give you a few that are kind of interesting. One is that the church, which became to be after this resurrection, which was under deep persecution and deep struggle and deep torment, not only grew, it flourished. It flourished all through the Roman world, all through Asia Minor, all through Turkey, then out into Rome and all sorts of other places. And they had no power and no prestige. And their only message was, God died on a cross and he rose. And it changed the world. That's something just to consider, okay? Just for your doubts. But we're going to get into the, the passage we're going to look at. And what we're going to do, my intention is to make clear several of the large things that are accomplished on the cross. Though there are more, I couldn't get, exhaust them today. From Paul's letter, Paul is this early leader who had everything going for him in the religious system, had a mystical encounter with Jesus after he was resurrected, and it changed the trajectory of his life. The letter we're going to look at today is a letter to the church in Colossae, which is actually also in Turkey. It's in Asia Minor. Interestingly, the, it has never, it's not been excavated. You can go out there. I've been there. It's literally just a large hill. So what was 2,000 years ago doesn't even exist, and yet it was the beginning of the life of the church, and it lives on the fact that even the city doesn't. I just think that's kind of a cool side note, no extra charge, plaid pants and all, you get that one. All right, so we're going to take it up with how Paul explains, and this is kind of a micro-explanation of this larger picture of what are the claims of the cross that the resurrection gives evidence they're true and they happened. So... We begin in Colossians 2, verse 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Now, this centers around, and the uncircumcision of the flesh just means a hard heart, which takes us back to dead in your what? Sins. Now, just say sins, and man, that just sucks the air out of a room, doesn't it? Oh, it's Easter. Yes, new life. Sin, death struggle, difficulty. But can I say it this way? If we don't face the truth inside of us, we can't see the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done to bring new life to us. And it's interesting the way we view sin in our modern culture. And, and we do it variably. Oftentimes we view it now as things aren't sin. In fact, every inclination and every way of living we have is just how we're made, and that must be what God wants. We also have things like we view certain sins differently than others. And Jesus actually tells a story that I think fits how we, in our, even in the church, on the modern culture, how we tend to view sin. He tells a story of a person who's a religious leader, and they go to the synagogue. And he says as they walk in... They begin to thank God as they look at someone who's in the back of the room that has a larger sin list. They go, God, thanks that I'm not like them. Thank you that I do the right things. I'm moral. I tithe. I help the poor. I do the things I'm supposed to. And I haven't done things like adultery and theft and all sorts of, he starts listing off things this other dude does. And he's like, I'm just better than. Thanks that I'm different. Almost like my sins are less, theirs are bigger. That's how we evaluate them. And I'm also on an improvement train on my own. Way to go. Which I'll tell you, though it sounds funny, I think that's often how we live in the church. 
oh, we're forgiven. But, you know, there's some things that are harder than others. Some things God looks more deeply at. And I'm working pretty hard at this, so he's got to be pleased because I'm good enough. I want to be really clear, that is not sin. That's self-righteousness, in case you don't know. Now, the other guy in this situation is the guy in the back who's beating his, basically beating his chest, saying, God, I'm a sinner, I'm a mess, and begins to look inside. And Jesus says, that one gets it, this one doesn't, meaning the irreligious gets it, the religious does not. The broken get it, the one who's self-righteous does not. And I say that to you, this is a simple way that I, helps me to think about sin, is sin is the rebellion in us that is about us and for us at whatever cost. In other words, there's a rebellion in you and in me that is dark and is sinful. Scripture teaches of this all the way from the beginning with Adam and Eve, and though it's often defined as Adam, it's Adam and Eve together, the beginning of humanity, and they basically choose not to be under God and have him rule and reign and be king and have them oversee the earth. They want to be like him. In other words, they want to be elevated and be their own, in their own, by their own. And by the way, that's what happens when we eliminate crucifixion and just go to resurrection. Jesus died for our sins so we can have a great life and everything goes well. So I want you to just understand, can we face together? Sin is in all of us. And, and here's what helps is face it in you. I, I'm not looking to you to point fingers. I'm not looking to you to tell everybody else, which is what we always do. I'm looking going, do you know there's a darkness in me and a darkness in you? And even a power over us that just gives us the proclivity. God made us in his image and it was good and it's tainted by the fact that we chose something differently that both brings our own destruction and brings the power of destruction into our lives. He says, on that day you die, meaning there's sin and ultimately death. And all Paul's saying is, let's just face the reality that there's darkness in us. In case you don't think that's true, just look at what's going on in the world around us. Do, do you see darkness every day? Do you see darkness even in the way we respond to each other on things that we think are wrong? Do you see darkness not just in individuals, but in groups of people? In darkness in nations, there's an everywhere. There's darkness on every level. It's not just about personal darkness. It's about the communal darkness of humanity. All of that is sin. You with me so far? Yes. So you're welcome to face the darkness in all of us. And, and even though I'm joking, I, I actually mean it. I hate the fact that we pretend it's not there, and then we realize how much we face it day after day after day. Like, it's in all of us, isn't it? If you don't think it's in you, come see me afterwards. I'll help you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the interesting piece, though. God made you alive in Christ. It says when you were dead in it. And it simply means this. This is what I love for any of you who are here with doubts. And I make the joke about seeing it. A lot of us are at a place initially we don't believe or see. And that's true for all of us. And this idea that Jesus makes us alive when we're dead, we call it in the church, we call it prevenient grace, which just means... Jesus does something to help us when we're not looking for it. It goes before, before we ever even believe we're sinning, before we ever even confess it, before we ever even want to change from it, Jesus goes before and makes us alive. In other words, crucifixion and resurrection happen when we're not even asking for it. So if you're here with doubts, great. Please stay and keep walking with us. And keep looking to the resurrected Jesus because the more you understand that grace, I think the more it will become real to you, the truth of our own destruction and sin. And it's a wonderful thing to see when you know God goes before you. Okay, that's where we begin. Now he's gonna get into the first of two things I want you to see that are accomplished on the cross. 
and I'm going to say it to you again this way. This is not exhaustive. These are two major parts of it. There's more to understand. But here we begin with the first part. The verse continues, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul says this almost in every letter in different ways. And I love this one in particular because it's so image-based by nailing it to the cross. But he's saying this, sin itself, your sins, my sins, both individually and communally, because often this is written to a community. Even when God writes Israel, he'll say things like, you wash your hands, you try to be clean of your sins, you collectively, and you don't realize you can't do it on your own. And so we tend to only personalize it. Other people just are communal. It's all together. I just don't want you to miss that. But he's making a statement that, listen, and Israel understood this this way. They knew when they did something wrong or sin, they offered a sacrifice, something to pay for the debt of their sin. And what Paul's saying here is none of us can do that. We call it atonement in the church. We even call it substitutionary atonement, so we sound more intelligent. But it simply means that Jesus taking our place through his death, fully God and fully humanity, meaning he carries both, actually can pay the price. That's what it's saying. And so the idea of it's nailed to the cross means very simply, Jesus came through the cross to forgive on our behalf sins done personally, done communally, done throughout our life and existence before coming and ever will come. So in other words, we can be forgiven. And that's great, isn't it? And it's powerful. And by the way, when you believe in the resurrection, you actually believe that's true because if Jesus rose, which we believe he did, it was saying, hey, this actually worked. This is what happened. You get it? That's the picture. And I think oftentimes we just don't think it's true. We live as if God forgives us, but he's really disappointed and we better keep working and we better get better at this thing. And this is not about getting better. This is dying in our rebellion and saying, God, I could never get better. Thank you that you forgive me. And oh my goodness, nailing it to the cross, talk about a great picture. You just picture Jesus literally having his hands nailed and being up there and going, our sin goes with every nail mark. Our sin goes with every part he endured, that's what happened there. Pretty cool, right? That's where we're starting. That's a piece of this. That's one major piece. And often, though, it's where we end is we just stop there going, well, he forgives us. But we miss what I consider to be this second picture. And let me preface it this way. Paul does this, kind of gives us a picture this way. Adam, he calls the first Adam, meaning Adam's the father of humanity. Adam and Eve are father and mother of humanity. And so they sin. And just in case you have this idea that they are just idiots, why did they do that? Which we all do, don't we? You ever look at someone else who does, you go, what an idiot, I would never do that. I just want to be really clear with you, yes, you would. And I would. And we all would. They represent what any of us would do in that situation. And what happens is that sin is passed down to all of us, communally and individually. All of us live under the bondage of sin and death of the first Adam. And then Jesus is described as a second Adam, meaning he comes not only to forgive, but to give new life and kind of restore and recreate God's intention with the creation. Tell me that's not crazy wild. But to get to the second aspect, I want to just explain for a minute what's at work when Jesus goes to the cross. So so there's a, a power to understand under Roman rule and the image of crucifixion. I want you to think of crucifixion as the worst possible way to take someone's life, reserved to be given to those who are least 
human, least valued, least dignified. In other words, it's for people who aren't even known, those most struggling, those most unseen, those most deviant, those most misbehaving. It was also, though, used for other kings and other leaders to take any authority they had and show it had no power next to Rome. In other words, it's the most powerful, mighty act of humanity to show that no one else is greater and they're so much lesser, they're not even worthy of being noted other than ashamed and humiliated. You get the picture of what crucifixion is? If we were to give image of it today and go back, it might be something like a lynching tree. It might be all that we saw that was going on in our own country, just lynching people. We might take it to the way people do capital punishment now with an electric chair. It's taken for the most criminal and the least valued of humanity. That's the picture. By the way, that is a very irreligious picture, isn't it? So, so I just want to remind you, too, the image of our faith is a cross. Tell me that's not crazy wild. It's an image of something that's irreligious, horrible, and unbelievably degrading. Now, let's get to why that is. I love Paul's explanation. He says, having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, when I first read that, if you're a reasonable person, does that not sound weird and crazy? No, you're, well, no, it makes perfect sense. The highest power of humanity to humiliate you at the lowest point. What I want you to understand is God took on the worst and lowliest of suffering and death. This isn't just even about the idea of the physical suffering or even what he carried through our sins. This is the powers and principalities of humiliating and degrading and making you nothing. He took it on. And what does it do? It humiliates every power above Come on, is that not amazingly crazy? And I think even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you go, this is amazing to consider. Because what we're saying, and we hear it often, Paul said this, the, the strength of humanity is weaker than the weakness of God. And we tend to think of it as scale, like, well, here's the, the, the strength of humanity, and even in God in his lowest is weaker. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you take the greatest of what we have, and God intentionally comes in great weakness and vulnerability and suffering, and it smashes that power. Oh. Do you understand that the power of sin is a power to promote and mightily win and do everything you can to be lifted up? And the way Jesus smashes that power is living in the most unjust way, unjustly suffering, unjustly dying, and taking on humiliation and suffering, and that is what kicks. I wanted to say something I shouldn't. That's what wants to crush all the power of humanity by incredible humiliation and humbling to sacrificing to death. You see, what happens at the cross isn't just forgiveness of sins. It's the conquering of the power of sin and death, but it's not conquered by might and demand, it's conquered by humiliation and suffering. You understand why the cross is the actual outplay into the resurrection. Jesus rising says, oh, this is true. Jesus rising says everything's changed. Jesus rising says these things you don't even understand change the way we live. And it also, by the way, announces a new kind of king. 
Kings come in their might. They come to be served. They come to do all these things to kind of, you take care of what I want. And our king, the king of all the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords comes in humility and brokenness and suffering because that's what actually breaks the power of this crud we live in. And that's why resurrection changes everything. Okay, I wanted to start there. We're not done. Don't worry. I got more. And the more is, it, I'm saying this is what I want us to understand. Now I want to ask, how do we respond? How do we live into this? What does this mean? And I'm going to take you to another letter of Paul's, and it's just an excerpt, but it's exemplary of lots of things the early church understood and said about how we're to live in this and what it means. So Paul writes this in his letters to the church in Philippi. And this is a church that's really struggling. They're being beaten down. They're through a whole bunch of messes. And this is what he writes to them. I want to know Christ. By the way, that's the whole subject. You want to know what it means that he died and he forgives us and he conquered the power of sin and death is he's restoring to us relationship with him and a new way of life now and a new way of life when he returns. That's the culmination of resurrection. And Paul's just saying, you know what, at the end of the day, I just want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. And then he explains how. I want to know him and know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. These are not different attributes. It's all how it comes to know him. And by the way, it's just inverted. Power of his resurrection, participation in sufferings. Oh, what's his sufferings participating? Becoming like him in death. What's it mean to know the power of his resurrection? Attaining the resurrection from the dead. He's putting these two things together to say, I live in both of these and when I live in both of these, that's how I know him. Now, I want to say it because this is how I think we, in our modern way of the church, we live. Jesus suffered and died, and we are truly grateful and will even ache over our sins. But he did it so you and I could be free and resurrected, and we will live a comfortable, wonderful, victorious, easy life. We are bubble boy, bubble girl, bubble man, and bubble woman, and bubble child. Basically, God puts a little cone around us, and life goes well for us. That's what we tend to anticipate. So we often look at the crucifixion and go, necessary means to an end, but I hate it. New life, love it. That's not what Paul says. Paul says Jesus didn't die so we get easy life. Jesus died and rose again to restore and live differently. And the way of his kingdom is both in suffering and in resurrection. We could say it this way. A resurrected life is shaped by the cross. A resurrected life is shaped by the cross. Paul doesn't say, I just want to know the power of his resurrection, though he talks about it over and over again. That's the power that helps us to live differently. It's the power that changes us. It's the power that helps us to live in sacrificial, wonderful ways. But it also is by participating in his sufferings. It's entering into the fact that this life is hard. Can we agree with that? Can we agree that suffering is a part of life instead of assume that God came so we would be suffering free? Because that's not true. And here's what happens when we think that's true. We start to think that we're better because we don't suffer, and only, only count blessings is what goes well for us. And then when something doesn't go well, we presume God's either disappointed or we've done something wrong. And worse yet, when we're doing well and others aren't, we presume they must have done something wrong. And we're somehow better. You realize that's moving right into the Pharisee life, Right? Let me, let me just explain it this way when it comes to participating in his sufferings. It means we embrace struggle in life. 
It means that we recognize that there are times where we're abandoned and rejected and alone. Now, I, I always think about this. Whenever I think about rejection and abandonment, I just feel like every adolescent, when they're in middle school, should have somebody come alongside and go, you're not alone, you're going to be okay. Because it is a time when we, many of us, and our kids are having this more and more, are feeling the pains and pressures of isolation and rejection and struggle. But it's in our lives as adults, too. It's when we have a situation, like we get a diagnosis, and we can't believe it didn't get healed, and because it didn't get healed, God must not be with us. But you see, in the midst of struggle, there's hope of the resurrection, both now and forever. It's not the end. It means that suffering does something in us. Suffering helps us to be with others who are suffering. Suffering is part of the way of the resurrection. It's the way of the cross. Suffering is something we should expect, not try to fight and keep ourselves from. Do you see the difference? And I'm just so concerned that we are looking at God as a genie. Would you make my life better? That's what resurrection is. Up and to the right. When we live that way, what we're looking for is outcomes and winning. When we live the way of the cross, what we're looking for is faithfulness and hope. Do you know God meets us in power in suffering? It doesn't mean it always gets better, though it does at times. It means by him meeting us, it does something of resurrection power in the suffering. Do you know there's ways you get to know God and you help other people know God in suffering that you never find when life goes well? Do you know that suffering breeds dependence? That suffering is an act of humility and humiliation. That's an act of saying, I'm yours, whatever it means, would you help me? Because that's where God meets us and conquers the power of sin and death. Do you get the picture? I'm inviting you to live a resurrected life through the shape of the cross. And I told you, I don't know what it means for each of you, but I want to just take a few minutes and pray. And even ask what God might say to you today that maybe you're here with doubt and maybe the doubt for you is just saying, I'm going to keep moving in my doubt. I'm going to keep asking Jesus to show me he's good. I'm not going to step away. I want to walk into and learn more about this resurrected God that came and brought a new kingdom in a new way to restore what was broken from the beginning of time. Maybe for others, it's responding to him for the first time. Maybe it's a time of renewal. Maybe it's a time of saying, I've been living in resurrection and I've avoided the cross. And saying, no, no, I'm gonna live resurrection shaped by the cross. But I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and I wanna guide us through a prayer. And you ask God if he's speaking to you about it. I'm not trying to convince you. But I think if you're hearing from him, it'll be a sense of a nudging. It might be a peace that you get. It might be just an instinct, like, I need to respond. So, Lord, I'm asking you to speak right now. Lord, I am praying that anyone here who's living with doubt, would you begin to show them your grace that shows you love them in their brokenness and disheartenedness and sin and mess? God, whatever it is in our lives that are causing us to doubt that are from people, let that fall. But let us see you as you are. And if that's you, just begin to ask God to reveal his goodness. And then, Lord, I want to pray for any among us who've never actually asked you to be their Lord and Savior, to ask you to forgive them for their sins, to ask you to help break the power of sin in their life. And if that's you today, if you sense that, like, I want this, make it clear. Don't keep waiting. If you have a nudge, I'd say step into it. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want your forgiveness. I want my sins nailed to the cross. 
Lord Jesus, I want to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Help me to live in a new way, overcoming this power over me and over us. And you ask the spirit to fill you. And then for others of us, that it's a sense of renewal. Oh, I know this, but I've kind of moved into a different way. Lord, renew in me your resurrection power and help me embrace the fellowship of your sufferings. And then finally, for those of us who go, I'm on board, I'm on team, I'm here, I want more of this. Would you ask the Lord to help you to see others in their suffering? You see, we fellowship in sufferings, meaning we understand and we sit with others in it too. And we give hope by just being present and offering help and hope in their brokenness and isolation. So just ask the Lord, show me who and where and how I'm to walk into others' suffering. And Lord, I pray for each of these requests and whatever else people might be sensing, would you lead them and stir them and change them? God, I am praying again that we will live a life, a new resurrected life shaped from the cross. I pray this in your name, amen. We want to take a little bit of time, and we give time afterwards to worship and have communion. But before we do that, we also want to give a time for you to go, what happened for me today? And so everybody got a card when they came in. Just hold up your cards. Go ahead, hold them up. I know you're looking like, I am not looking at a card. Here's the great thing. When all of us fill it out, it helps everyone because nobody feels singled out. All I want you to do is just fill it out. And here it is. If you're a follower of Jesus... Men, commit to meeting with people and their brokenness. We'd love it if that's what you do. If you're a follower and you've never been baptized, we'd love for you to just click that so we can help you discover what it means. If you responded today, we want you to text that. We want you to check that so we can respond to you. And we actually have a gift for you in the lobby. And then renewing the same way. This is a place for you to go. I've responded. And all I'm going to ask is that as you fill it out, we're going to stand in a minute to celebrate communion. And you're just going to send it into the middle. The ushers are just going to come and grab them all. So you're just helping all of us to just have a better sense. You're with me? All right. So I'm going to ask you to fill it out to stand up. We're going to celebrate communion. Don't stand up yet. I realize that you're not standing up anyway, so apparently I have no influence. No, it's good. You can sit down. I liked it, though. Thank you for being one person in the room that listened to me. The rest of you, you're mediocre. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion, and this is what we want you to know about it. Hopefully you got cups when you came in. We have an open table, which just means this. We don't have a membership stipulation. For your own sake, it is a sacrament, and if you're not following, we don't want you to feel obligated, but if you're making a move towards Jesus, even with doubt, we'd love for you to do it, and we'll do it at our seats. But we're going to stand and worship, and then I'm going to have you move, send your cards to the middle as we do that, and then I'll come back, and we're going to celebrate communion together, and we'll finish with worship. So let's stand together as we worship and respond and send those cards to the middle as the ushers come to get them too.
burn through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Oh. that if you got the cups when you came in, the top layer, as you take it off, will have a small wafer in there, the bread, and then beneath that will be the, the cup, the very drink. This is a sacred activity that Jesus instituted the night he was betrayed. On that night, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body given for you. Fully God, fully man, Jesus came in the flesh and he was nailed to a cross that your sins and mine would be nailed that the power of sin and death would be conquered and we receive together as his body. In the same way on this night, he took the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink it, you do it remembering what I've done and who I am. And we would say there is new life in this. There is new life shaped by the cross. But we also have an image here of what we call the already and the not yet, that Jesus has begun the work to change us. His Holy Spirit is transforming and moving to bring new life to us. And that will reach its fulfillment when Jesus returns and brings a new heaven and new earth and an eternity with him. So we drink now and we drink in reconciliation, know that we'll drink forever with him. Let's take. Lord, I simply act that this would be a grace imparted to each of us today freshly. Let me invite you to stand as we declare these truths. May you embrace the very words you sing. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. 
blessing before you go, just living into that. I want to remind you that Paul himself, earlier in the section we just looked at in Philippians, says, I consider everything that's gone well for me and that I have in my own doing, nothing. All I want is to know Christ. The God who came to the earth to forgive, to break the power of sin and death, showed it's true by rising. And said to us, you get my spirit to live differently. You'll find power in suffering and you'll find power in those things that go well. Because even in suffering, things will be powerful. Resurrection can't be stopped. Whew. Maybe it's the, the whole plaid jeans thing coming back will be, but not resurrection. <laughs> now what we're going to do in the next five weeks out of this is we're going to be looking at who is Jesus. We're going to look at excerpts both from the Gospels and from the New Testament of how the early church began to see who he is to infuse in us a deeper knowing of him. And we want to invite you back for that too. Let me have you place your hands out and give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. Oh, may he reveal the height and breadth and depth and width of his love. May he pour out his grace that brings his forgiveness, that it's nailed to the cross, your sins. And may he display and dispense into you the power over sin and death to live a resurrected life shaped by the cross for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. amen.